This is Fordham Conversations. I'm Robin Shannon. This morning, joining me in the studio is one of the original members of Alvin Ailey's dance company. Nat Horn is here to share his experience on and off Broadway at a time when it was difficult for a black man who wanted to dance to be accepted. Good morning. Good morning, Robin. What was it like growing up in your birthplace of Hopewell, Virginia in the 1920s? Oh, my God. Was, what was it like? First, let me just tell you that my father was a Baptist minister, and we were brought up very religiously, hell, fire, and brimstone. Things we could not do, we could not play cards, we couldn't drink, we couldn't smoke. And Sunday was the day that we spent all day in church. And you mean all day? And I mean all day, <laughs> Yes. My father had seven churches at that time. He would go to two different churches every Sunday, and he would take us with him. And he had a packet card, gray with white sidewalk ties and his ties on the rim. It was quite a thing because in the cars in those days, you could stand and wave at people as they Like go a parade. By. Yes. And so whenever he would drive up to the church grounds, and the churches at that time were always back in the woods. The black churches were never on the highway. They were always further in the woods. So whenever he would take us, we'd be standing up in the car, and the church people would see us, and they'd start waving to us, and we waved back. And I said, as I look back now, it's like the king and queen is coming in. <laughs> and it was always, to me, those were moments that I remember very clearly, and it was, they were very exciting. And I'm glad you had some good times, but I would assume that with your dad being so strict, he did not want you to be a dancer. You're exactly right. (laughs) What did he want you to be instead? Well, at that time, I think most black families wanted their children to be doctors, lawyers, or teachers. My interest wasn't in any of those things. Don't ask me why. All I know is that I wanted to be a dancer, and I think from early childhood, I just knew that. I don't know why I knew this. Did you dance around the house? Oh, my, did I dance around the house? You know, there were trans seals on the, uh, over the doors in those days. And I used to get on the bed and jump on the bed, on the trance, and swing from one room to the other like Tarzan and dive on the bed like I'm diving into water. And then later on, my aunt, she took us to see a musical one time. And I think it was about Gene Kelly or some musical. Singing in the rain, just singing in the rain. And there, I think I fell in love with dancing. And at that time, what I do remember later on, it was Gene Kelly was my idol. Yeah. I always wanted to dance like Gene Kelly because he was very robust and very strong and very athletic. Mm -hmm. And I like that. You're dancing around the house. Dad's sort of strict, and it goes from being, you know, my son's doing some aerobics or acrobatics, and that's okay. When did it get to, wait a minute. That's not just acrobatics. That's <laughs> no. dancing, and that is not no, the direction to, I, I want you to, to go. Say this. My father did not allow me to dance around the house. I never danced around the house when the family was in the house. Gotcha. It was when they were out. Gotcha. I was over everything, tables, chairs, whatever. And so one day, my brothers were all at the dining room table doing their lessons, and I was sitting on my father's lap. I think I was quite young. And he was asking my brothers what they wanted to do. And he said, and baby boy, what do you want to be? And I looked up. I said, dancer. And he said, what? I said, dancer. Next thing I know, I was on the floor. He stood up, and I slid right off his lap. And he he looked down at me. He said, no. And I looked up at him. I said, yes. <laughs> I had to accept that because at that time, children did not talk back to their parents right. as they do today. Things were quite different. What they said went. Right. And in my heart, I said, yes. I just don't have but to be as vocal about it in I front of dad. I cannot vocalize that, no. But I still kept my, my, and that was my dream, Robin, was to become a dancer. 
did you know that you could have a career at dancing or did you just think, I don't know where I'm going to go with this. I just know I have to move. I don't know if I knew that or not. And that's what always puzzled me. Why was I so strong about being becoming a dancer? But I think that had to do with something that at that time I didn't know what I could do that I would love doing. And the race issue was so prevalent that I felt blocked in my thinking. And for some reason, I just thought that, well, I can dance. Just by me saying that I can dance, then I'm going to do that. And I'm not going to let go of that thought. That's what I just kept pursuing was dance, dance, dance. And then later on, I began to realize you can make money at it. And I think the reason my father did not like dancing because they didn't understand dancing as an artistic form in those days. Dancing was dama dance in the dance hall. Right. And it was not artistic. Some you did maybe in the speakeasies while you yeah, were drinking. You're whatever. not supposed to yeah, go there. But, You're not supposed to do that. But he said, you're not going to be a dancer here. But I never lost the sight. I could not take dance lessons. I couldn't do anything like that. But I... I did find out one day I was in high school, I was playing basketball in the uh, YMCA, there was a dance class given by Frances Carter. She had young girls, she was getting ready for recitals. She came down one day and said, would any of you boys like to come upstairs and work with me and the girls and learn some lifts to be in my recital? And first thing I said, yes, I will, I'll do it, I'll do it. And so that was the beginning of me going into some kind of formalized dance class, but it wasn't really a dance class for me. All I did was partner a girl. She would show us how to lift the girls and turn. So them the girls did the dancing, and the you girls did, just dancing, did the dancing. We did the lifting, and like, that wasn't enough for Nat. That no, wasn't it was enough. not. But I liked that so much, so therefore I started doing that. And I often told in later life, I said, "Oh." All my muscles were developed from lifting girls. I never went to the gym. <laughs> I said I developed my body by lifting girls. Now, you sort of hinted at race relations. What were race relations like in your hometown in Virginia at that time? Were there At that time, there was nothing artistically for blacks to do. I couldn't, there were no schools that I knew of for black kids to go to to study dance. There was no theater was open for us to, to go to, except there were black theaters and there were white theaters. We would go to the movies. That's about it. But nothing like training artistically for the black kids. No art school, no nothing like that. And when I speak about art, one of my older brother, Robinson, was a fantastic designer. He had a natural ability to design clothes. He should have been a famous designer because he could make fur look like fur. He could make Persian look like Persian. He could make lace. And as we got older, women in the town would ask him sometimes to design for them. You see, there was talent in the black race, not just in my family, but it was never able to venture out and explore into its true identity because of the fact that there were no places for us to vent this Yeah, talent. no outlets. You know. None whatsoever. And it was such a shame because he should have been where these great designs are today. But unfortunately, the talents were not available. There was nothing available for him to venture out into. Now, did you find anybody encouraging, whether it was family, maybe a neighbor, that sort of helped stoke the fire of you wanting to be a dancer, wanting to be creative? Did anybody encourage you? The teacher, Frances Carter, who was also the teacher that I worked with at the Y, she was the one who encouraged me to continue because she saw that I had talent. And so therefore, I did. 
but not really studying. I didn't have a chance to study ballet or tap or modern or jazz. It was just to come and work with the girls and lift, which I enjoyed doing. That was a lot of fun. <laughs> did, so, were you able to keep that from your father or from your parents? Oh, yes, or? I did. Because What did you tell them you were that doing? Were, that were rehearsal usually on Saturday nights. And on Saturday nights, we had to have Bible study at the dining room table. One Saturday night, I wanted so badly to get out of the house because that was a rehearsal, and I didn't know how to excuse myself from my father. But my mother was washing dishes in the kitchen, and I decided I would help her. And I asked her, I said, Ma, can I go to Ms. Carter? And she said, I didn't hear what you said. <laughs> and I was wiping the dishes, and I was standing near the screen door, the back door, and I said, it's going to start very soon, but maybe I can go. And she said, I don't know what you're talking about, baby boy. Because so you were mumbling? My mother just completely ignored it, and she turned her back, and I slipped out of the house <laughs> and went to class. I put the towels and the dishes down, and I walked to the class, to the Y, and on my way to the Y, the dance teacher always waited outside to greet her students to take them upstairs. And when I saw her, I was waving, walking down the street. I said, oh, hi, Mrs. Carter. And she said, hello, Robin Horn. I said, "Rap my horn. My father was following me. I didn't know it. <laughs> well, Uh-oh. being a very beautiful woman, as Miss Carter was, she said, you go upstairs. I want to talk to your father. Whatever she said, I don't know what the conversation was. I was in the recital, and the recital, the first thing I did was Beauty and the Beast. And I played the part of the prince. <laughs> I didn't do any dancing. The Beast did all the dancing, and I, I came out in a puff of smoke with a George Washington-type costume on turned the girl and put her down and I got lots of applause. My father saw it and he liked it because everyone was saying how well I turned the young lady on stage. So was he was he, so lo- he softening he, up a he little? He was softening up but that was just for that. But He was he like said, it was good no. for one time. One that, time. That's that one time it, and one time no only. That was uh, just before high school. So after high school when I was in high school I found another partner who was a wonderful dancer. Estelle Price was her name. Estelle was a fantastic dancer, a very talented young lady. She looked very Italian. She didn't look black. She was my first partner in high school, and I'd made up a dance called Slaughter on 10th Avenue with her. And I so you and her created this dance together? I created the dance. <laughs> you created the <laughs> I created the dance. <laughs> and you showed I, her what to do. I told her, yeah, because I had seen Gene Kelly do it with Barry Ellen on, in the movies. Uh-huh. And I love the music, Slaughter on 10th Avenue. And so I created the dance, and so therefore, after having done that, we danced all over Richmond for fraternities, sororities, whatever program they had in Richmond, Virginia, I performed. But you two sort of inspired each other, maybe? I'm asking, because I would think it would be challenging for a black man in in the South to dance, and then you have this other African-American yet light-skinned woman, and you're dancing together, but you said there were really no outlets. So did that help sort of encourage both of you to continue dancing? Her father encouraged her, where my father would not encourage me. In fact, I wanted to go to Howard University to study dance. And my father found out that that was a dance department, so he took me out of that. He said, you're not going to enroll in Howard University because that's a dance department there, and you're not going to dance because I know what you're aiming for. He wanted me to be a minister, so he sent me to Virginia Union University. How would you feel about that? I didn't want to go, but I had to go because, again, said so. at the time, parents had to say over the children, which is not today. We were really brought up to respect the elders. We respect 
ourselves, which he also said, you have to respect yourself in order to respect, uh, have people respect you. That was drilled into us very closely. And I rebelled, of course. You know, I didn't want to do it. So I went to Virginia University, and I didn't know what I was going to major in, and I knew it would not be uh, ministry because I didn't want to be a minister. So I decided I would become a dancer there. And so whatever programs came along, I decided I'd get a girl. And the next partner was a minister's daughter, Deborah Thompson. <laughs> and I taught her the same slot on 10th Avenue that I would do. And whenever they had a program at the uh, university, they always had the programs in the chapel. And I had told her, we're going to do this for this sorority in the chapel. And she said, yeah, but that's a gun. We use a gun in there. We have to get permission from the dean of the university if we can do this. And I said, oh, that's not a problem. I won't shoot the gun. I'll just have the gun and point it at you in the dance. And so I got permission from the dean to do this. And But what I forgot to do is take the blanks out of the gun. <gasps> So the day of the performance at the university, packed, of course, because everybody knew Nat Horn was going to dance with uh -huh. Deborah Thompson, two ministers children dancing in the chapel, <laughs> doing this number slot on 10th Avenue, which the end of the chapel was not so sure he wanted to see because I told him what it was about. And he said, well, we can't do that kind of a dance in the what chapel. What was it about? It was just two lovers in a nightclub dancing. I made it up my way, not exactly the way they did it in the movie. Tell me what happens. Two lovers. Yeah. Oh, two lovers. Where'd dancing. the gun come in? What they're, happened? They're dancing, dancing, and then she has another friend who comes to meet her, but I didn't have that. I just made it between the two of us. We have an argument, and in the argument, we pull out a gun, and I shoot her in, toward the end. Then I, I'm regretful that I shot her. So but I can you know, imagine that the dean is going, two ministers, kids. Uh, <laughs> no, well, no, 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 no. Actually, <laughs> they didn't want to dance at all, but I tried to describe it as best I could. And he permitted. Did and you leave out some details, Nat? <laughs> to <laughs> no, kind of no. win him over. <laughs> and so what happened was the day of the performance, I started dancing and we got to the part where I'd pull the gun out. I fired the gun and it went off. And it scared everybody in the audience. And the dignitaries were all sitting on the front row. They all stood up and then they sat down again. And I could see the looks on that face. They were really disgusted with me. Oh. And they summoned my father to come to the university. But wait, before we get there, did you continue to dance like nothing had gone oh, yeah, on? Oh, I did. did you stop? I, so I you, had to because the show kept I going. wanted to finish the number because it was such a good number. Yeah. And I even think now, I don't remember how I created this number, but I made it up from the top of my head in one day. And I've always done that. I created things like on the spur of the moment. I never do long rehearsals. Remind me of Frank Sinatra who said one shot in the movie. I'm not going to do no long rehearsal. I'm going to do it this, and that's going to be it. Right. And I always did things like that from the top of my head because I was very creative in that sense. At least I thought so, mm -hmm. and I think today I still am. <laughs> so what happened when they contacted Dad? So my father came and he apologized, and they talked. I was not in on the conversation because they wanted to expel me Ooh. because they said that was going against the rules. Were you scared at all, Nat? Because here you are supposed to be studying in the ministry. Instead, you're dancing, and that's something your dad yes. never wanted you to do. And here you are yes. dancing in this school that he thought he had gotten rid he of that, got that, rid of, oh, yes, he you know, that urge in you to dance. Yeah. So how, were you at, well, he, nervous? He, he scolded me for it. And I said, well, I won't do that dance again. And I you did. really meant that one dance. That one dance, <laughs> yes. This is Fordham Conversations on 90.7 WFUV. I'm Robin Shannon talking with Nat Horn, one of the original members of the Alvin Ailey Dance Company. Nat is sharing his experiences on and off Broadway. So you graduated. I graduated with a Bachelor of uh, Science degree in mathematics. So yeah. now you have this degree? I had the degree. And where did you go next? The Army. 
the army. Well, if I get into the army, I'm going to special service and I'm going to be a dancer. So did you? No, because in the army at that time, in the late 40s, right after World War II, they wanted young black men who had training in education to be officers. And my first thought was, I don't want to be an officer. I want to be a dancer. Why? Didn't you want to be an officer? I, because it would take me away from dancing. You see, all my life is what my dream was, dancer, dancer, dancer. That's mm -hmm. what I want to do. I don't want to do nothing else. I took the officer training test, and I flunked it. And I don't know if I flunked it purposely or I was just dumb, one of the two. I bet you flunked it purposely. <laughs> well, I, I think I did because I said, I'm not going to do this. This is not what I want. They say, if you get overseas, you can join special services. And I said, oh, great. I'm going to get overseas, then I can become a dancer in the Army. First thing I hear, no, you are not a performer outside the Army, so therefore you cannot be in special services. You have a Bachelor of Science degree. You have to be either a foot soldier or an officer. I don't want to be an officer. Okay, you'll be a foot soldier. So, Nat, did they think, okay, it's just because you don't want to fight, you want to get into the special services, which I would assume would put on plays or put exactly, on some kind exactly. of entertainment for, for the, the forces, soldiers, for yeah. the soldiers. It was Special Army, 7th Army Special Services Division. And that was not like the USO. That was just the soldiers putting on their own shows. Was that your designated job? You, that would that be, was your job to go and make sure you entertain the troops. Exactly. And so I tried to get into that, and then I was rejected again. No, you can't do that because that is not what you came in here for. And I said, oh, no, I'm never going to become a dancer. I'm never, never, never. But I did hear that they were going to do a show for the officers' club. I went to the uh, service club hostesses at that time. It was segregated in the Army, by the way, at that time. Black and white were always separate. And I asked, could I be on the program? Yes, you can. What do you do? I dance. Good. Can you make up a dance for us? I said, yes, I can. But I thought I was going to dance with the hostess of the service club. She was white. And I came with a great big 12-inch platter, Andre Castellani's St. Louis Blues. And I came for rehearsal, and she said, oh, that's great. She said, you can go into the rehearsal room and make up your dance, and I'll come and look at it. Aren't you going to dance with me? Oh, no, we cannot perform with the soldiers. I said, but I've never done a solo by myself. She said, oh, I'm sorry. Then maybe you have to go back to your unit. And you didn't want to hear that. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I said, I'm not going back. I went into the room. I made up this dance. She saw it. She loved it. She got me a costume. <laughs> Ned, how long did it take you to make up the dance that routine? That dance took me no more than maybe a couple of hours in the room. Wow. I was very good at, at creating my own things, and I always made them up on the moment. I never prepared for anything. I just said, they want me to do this, I'll do it. And it was so good, you won them over, and they let you in the special I services. I won over. I danced in the club, and it was a big success, and that's when they decided I should go to special service division in uh, Stuttgart. How long were you in special services? Two years. Uh, I was taken out of the infantry and put into temporary duty, entertaining soldiers all over Germany, and I did that for a long time. And it was quite exciting, but summertime came, and the big shows were stopped. And unless you had an act, you had to get out of that and go back to your unit. And I said, no, I don't want to do that. So that was a combo, a Puerto Rican combo, we rehearsing in the service club one day. And I was sitting there watching, and they were playing a song called Run Joe. Run Joe, and I said, I could dance to that. And I got up and I asked them, do you want to dance it with your combo? And they said, you dance? I said, yeah. They said, okay, let's see what you're going to do. I made up this dance right there in front of them, and they liked it. And there I was dancing Run Joe. So when they went on the road, I went with them, and I did this number called Run Joe. 
And from that time on, I was set for the rest of my tour in the Army. And then finally, they wanted me to stay because they thought I was very good, and I had no training. And I said, no, I got to go to New York. When did you get the New York bug? When did you say, you know what, that's it? Because you could have stayed there. You could have danced and you could have been doing what you enjoyed. So what drew you to New York City? I realized I did not have any training whatsoever. And I wanted to be better than I was. I could have done it, yes, because I was a natural. I could have stayed there and I could have danced. I could have choreographed the Army shows. But I realized I'm not that good. I want to be better than I am. I want to come and study dance. And my dream was to get into a ballet company. <laughs> that was a big joke. and I didn't realize it, but I thought I could do that. Why was it a joke? Because blacks at the time were not in ballet like today. And so therefore I said, oh, then I'm going to study ballet when I come to New York. And so when I got out of the Army in 1952, I stayed home for two years. My parents wanted me to teach school, and I said, no, I want to go. It's like, hello, remember me, the dancer? (laughs) (laughs) I did not want to do that. And so one day they were all in church, and my brother, he said, if you're going to go to New York, you better go while they are not at home because the minister of one of my churches in Virginia was coming to visit his mother who lived in the Bronx. He said, you would like to take a ride to New York? Yes. Did he know you wanted to come to New York to dance? No, he did not. Ah. He just thought I was going to come for the ride. Mm-hmm. And my brother Robson said, pack your bags and leave now if you want to go to New York. I had $300 in my pocket, and I packed two suitcases. He said, but we're only going for one day. I said, but you know how we like to change clothes. Mm-hmm. You know? No, you meant I'm not coming back. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I got here, and there I was in New York in 1954, not knowing anybody, and I found it, to make a long story short, I, I did get a job in the garment industry here in New York. Here I am with a BS degree, pushing a cart down the street with clothes on it, and I felt bad about it. But I said, you could get a substitute teacher's job and become a teacher and then work dance classes on the side. I didn't want to do that. Did dance classes cost money? No, the dance classes were very cheap. We would pay $2 per uh, class at that time. Now they are like $17 and $20 a class. So you're in New York, not dancing yet. Not dancing What yet. was your first break? My first big rejection was when I took a ballet class and they told me, go home, you're too old, you're never going to make it. No. So How I old were you? 25. And that's 26. old for a dancer? Yes, yes, for ballet. I mean, if you had no training, I had none. And so I went home, and I cried all night long. My pillow was ringing wet. And I said, well, I guess I'm never going to become a dancer. But then I thought, I got a job. I can still try some other places. I decided I would try another school. Everybody I had met say, you have lots of natural talent. And I sort of realized that as I look back now, I did have. I had to keep trying classes, and I finally found Walter Nix. He was a Catherine Dunham dancer. I gave myself, or brother, my brothers gave me five years. If you're not doing something in five years, you're going to come back and be a teacher. Well, that was 1954, and two young ladies took me from the garment industry to Atlantic City, Club Harlem, to perform. I hated it because it was not the atmosphere I wanted. I said, That's, this is not Broadway. I want Broadway. These same two young ladies later on found out that that was a Broadway show opening called Jamaica, and we're going to go and audition for it. You want to come? I say, but if I go there, I'm going to lose this job. Yeah, but we should try it anyway. Because Broadway was where you wanted to be? Yeah, and I said, that's where I want to be. I came to New York. I came to the Imperial Theater, 
in a crowd of people backstage waiting to audition, turned in my name, and all of a sudden someone said, is there Mr. Horn out here? And I was surprised that of all these dancers, they would call my name. They said, uh, you're next. So I go in, and I start auditioning. I did not know that Lena Horn was the star of the show. And I'm thinking, oh, my. But I have, I'm not trained. They had other black dancers who had been on Broadway, and they had separated us on stage left and stage right. Stage left were the dancers who had been on Broadway a long time. Stage right were the neophytes who hadn't done anything, and they were not union. I was in that group. Because you had taken some classes, but you I had taken some, but it was not like, I, I wasn't trained well. But I could dance. I could get up and entertain you in a second. I mean, I could make up something in a moment. So you got to meet So Lena luckily Horn. what happened was that the side of the stage I was on was the one that they were picking for this Jamaica show with Lena Horn. And as I look back, I think the reason they did that was because they were looking for different shades of black kids to make this Jamaican island. They didn't want them to look like the kids from the African. Right, uh, too dark tribe. or, yeah. Because yeah. mm-hmm. Lena and Horn so is luckily very I was in the right group and I got the job. And on my way out, the stage manager said, excuse me, sir. And I said, yeah. He said, are you played to Miss Horn? I said, no, I'm not. That's when I began to realize that Lena Horn was the star of the show. Yeah. I didn't even know she was the star <laughs> of the show. I just went. So I finally got into the show, but for a long time, they didn't really quite believe I was not related. They thought I was. <laughs> so that was your first big break. My first big break. And then from that time, from 1957 to 1972, I was on Broadway and Broadway shows. Nat, what's the horn technique of dance? Ah, that goes back to the time when I was trying to find a method of training myself so that I could be as close to ballet as I possibly could. I studied with a teacher called Luigi at one time, one of the top jazz teachers in New York City. And then that was Matt Maddox, who was the top jazz teacher in the 60s. Matt Maddox was his total influence. My whole technique comes out of his teaching because his teaching was analytical. You might say the anatomical approach to dance. But what I don't think that he or Jack, they realized that what they were teaching was such great knowledge about the body through jazz dancing whereas jazz dance is a free form. But this free form of dance is great, but it's not that good unless you have discipline behind it. And in studying this technique, I was able to blend myself into all different type of Broadway shows that I did, the different ethnic forms, because learning the body so thoroughly, it taught me how to be a well-rounded dancer. And then I began to teach it in a different way because they did not want expression with the dance and they just wanted the technique to work and it does work but I wanted it to be with the soul of the body not just the technique my jazz dancing other than any other jazz teachers was that I put a lot of feeling into my dancing music is the foremost play I would say of what I do I'll say this very cautiously when I was teaching my technique at my school in the 70s that's when break dancing and that's when also um, aerobics came along. But I had at that time lots of doctors studying with me because dancing was a thing that lots of people did in the evening when they came from work to stay in condition was to take jazz dance. And what happened was that in this particular class, it moved as aerobics moved today. But I had started that way back in the 70s, and someone came and said, you know, they're teaching your technique down the street, and they're calling it aerobics. And I said, oh. 
and what it was, this constant movement, checking the pulse, and I did it by changing the different tempos of the music, not knowing that it was related to the breathing and the of the body. And aerobics came out of that, and then later on, all the isolation, the head, the shoulders, the ribcage, the hip, that was breakdancing. I think that I, I was the forerunner of all these techniques that came later. And today, as I look at Zumba classes, the same thing, this constant movement in the Zumba <laughs> classes, which I had done so many years before, and Pilates and yoga, is all mixed into this technique that I had learned from Matt Maddox and Jack Cole because I worked with the both of them. You said watching Gene Kelly dance made you want to become a dancer. Did you ever get to meet Gene Kelly? No, I did not. But when he choreographed a uh, flower drum song, mm-hmm. I wanted to go to the audition, but I realized they weren't using black. So that was one audition I didn't go to. Usually usually I go to all auditions regardless whether they want blacks or not, and we were rejected so many times that I can't tell you. We would come out and go to a restaurant and say, I was as good as that person. I could have done that. I could have done that. But they just weren't using blacks. When you were told they didn't need you for these particular plays and Broadway shows, were they polite about it? They were polite in their way of being polite. They would just not recognize you. They would line you up on stage and they say, thank you, but no thanks. And never really give and, you, you need to do more of this or less of that. It just yeah, would be a flat yeah, out but no. They, they never talked about our talent. They never said that we were bad or good. It was understood that when they said that, they're not using blacks. But I would go anyway. I would go in, and it got to one point, I remember standing in line one time, and someone said, oh, here comes that. He's going to get the job. <laughs> <laughs> they were like, here he comes. Yeah, because I was used constantly, but I also studied. I did not party a lot. I was always working on my career. When I was not in a show, the next day I was in class. Nat, what legacy do you want to leave personally? Mm. I, my motto was, to live is to dance, and to dance is to live. And I would say that would be a good thought for people to live by. If I could get the whole world to dance, I would. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) My thanks to dancer, choreographer, director, and teacher, Nat Horn, for sharing his experience with me. I'd also like to thank my producer, Dan Murphy, and senior producer, Alan Canlick. This has been Fordham Conversations on 90.7 WFUV. Stay with us. George Bodarkey and Cityscaper next. For Fordham Conversations, I'm Robin Shannon.